Welcome, dirty peasants, to episode 31 of the Wartwood Gazette, the Amphibia podcast. This week we'll be covering Amphibia Season 3, Episode 7, Spidersprig and Olivia Nunan. I'm your host, Thumbaticon, and joining me today, we have... Pixels! Ahoy! King of the Uzbeks! Hey, hey, hey! And Nick! What's up, guys? Alright, thanks guys for coming on. We've uh, got a very, two very special episodes this week. Uh, news, I think we don't have any news. We can just go right into the episode unless there's anything I missed. Alright, okay. then I guess we'll go right into Spider Sprig. Let me pull up the credits for this episode. So Spider Sprig was directed directed by Joe Johnson, written by Gloria Chen, storyboards by Alex Swanson, Silver Paul, Kyler Spears, and Rachel uh, Rachel Peck. So the episode starts off with the planners and Mr. Boon Choi watching a movie called uh it's Tarantulad. I forgot the rest of the, the title. So it's basically the superhero fighting this puffer fish villain. We get a lot of we get a lot of tropes about how he'll never be loved if if they really if they found out who he really was, whatever. Uh Tarantulad defeats the, the villain. His mask comes off, he's revealed to be some kind of I I don't want to say tarantula like because I know he has man- mandibles on top, but uh, whatever. And then you have like that one, the one child character who tells him that he's a hero. Everyone applauds, and then you get this kind of like Superman esque shot of like Tarantula's parents while he narrates how he's finally found a home for himself. So, Sprig and Mister Boonchoy there. Like they're they're moved by this film. The the rest of the planners and Anne are not, <laughs> and seem slightly concerned for them. Uh, Sprig kind of wishes he could go out and be accepted by humanity, but of course they are. Uh, they have to be in hiding. They have to keep a low profile, as Anne states. Uh, Sprig kind of points out how like Anne didn't have to hide in, in Amphibia, like, she was allowed to, like, roam about. But, unfortunately, it's not the case here. Uh, Polly takes a moment to, uh, criticize the, the plot details of, uh, the movie they just watched. Uh, Hop-Hop is slightly concerned about her internet usage. And then while Polly's talking, like, we see Sprig beginning his, uh, superhero monologue. Uh, we get a little bit. <laughs> he seems to start like training a little bit, where he like starts climbing the walls and swings around with his tongue, and then he starts to come off. He starts to come up with his uh superhero identity and creating a costume, and then eventually he dubs himself a frog frogman. So he has like the costume, and then Polly just walks in on the middle of him doing some posing. And then just jumps out of the window to prepare for some crime fighting. 
So we get we get Sprig <laughs> surveying the city. He notices something <laughs> happening at a lemonade stand where uh this this guy's basically like writing up a report for these kids with a lemonade stand. So Sprig makes it makes his debut, but it's not really like a crime or injust injustice. It's just basically the neighborhood the neighborhood watch, uh Robert Otto. Uh he's just it's just him like writing up these kids and both the kids are like are not uh impressed by both him or Sprig. And then Sprig and Sprig and Robert Otto like well Robert Otto's not very happy about a vigilante in his uh in his territory, but then they're interrupted by a runaway bus. So Otto goes after it, but him telling the bus to stop despite the brakes not working, of course, doesn't really help. And then uh, Frogman comes to the rescue with his tongue to cushion the blow of the bus. Uh, we find out that like one of the one of the kids on the bus was uh, is Molly Molly Joe, which is uh, Otto's granddaughter. She uh, she meets Sprig for the first time. Everyone's cheering for for Frogman while Otto is uh unhappy about this. We get a montage of Sprig uh Sprig Sprig's uh popularity or his status as a superhero becoming more well known throughout what I'm assuming is at least a day or two or even maybe just the day of. So then eventually we cut back to Otto in the in the in the junkyard and he's very uh he's looking at his phone and seeing all the memes and the, <laughs> and the news about Sprig, yeah. about Frogman, uh, about Frogman's uh, success. He's uh, enraged by this. He wants to prove that Frogman's just a joke, and then that's when he comes up across uh, Cloakbot's arm, which was uh, torn off by Anne back in uh, Anne's Terminator. He he's able to put it on and decides to put it to some use. So it cuts back what I'm assuming is the next day. Sprig is being adored by the fans. Uh he's kind of, the popularity is kinda of getting to his like he's he's got a little bit of an ego about it. Uh and then when Discount Mario offers him some free pizza, that's when Otto comes makes his dramatic entrance and uh he grabs like the pizza and just like tosses it out and starts picking a fight with Sprig. We get this we get this like very action packed like chase chase scene goes around goes through the streets, goes up buildings. We get that iconic trailer shot. Which they immediately both like start like holding their leg in pain after doing that like that uh that kick with the So then eventually they keep fighting. Uh Molly Joe is eventually like caught in the crossfire. She's about to get hit by uh like a telephone, not telephone, by a light post. Eventually, uh, Frogman saves him. But Molly Joe points out she's not impressed with Spider Sprig. She's looking at all the damage and saying that they're just a bunch of attention seekers. Uh, so eventually, Sprig kind of realizes what he's done. That like maybe the superhero business wasn't all it's cracked out to be. But then eventually, uh. Uh, Otto decides to help uh, 
him and him and Sprig end up on good terms and they decide to help each other. They decide to help rebuild the street or the area they damaged. And then so Molly Joe and uh Frogman or, or Sprig are all good. Uh Frogman hops out or swings into the sunset and uh, uh some police officer comments on Otto definitely getting arrested. We cut back to the planner home. Sprig tries stinking his way in, but Anne is there waiting for him and kind of lectures him about keeping a low profile, but Sprig is already done with the uh, with the frog man persona and is retiring it. And then Anne kind of like uh, gets less upset with him because it seems like he's been through a rough day. But then the segment ends with Sprig uh, telling Anne that he used her clothes and cut them up to make his costume to Anne's uh, anger. <laughs> and Anne pretty much probably gives him an earful after that. So that was Spider Sprig, and this is probably like this was like a super fun episode. You could tell how much the crew loved doing this. Like there were four storyboard artists on this one. Like I, I don't, I, I don't want to say it's like a time constraint. Maybe they just all wanted to have fun boarding Sprig and his uh, shenanigans. This episode, especially, uh. Really liked Doctor, not Doctor Octopus. Was I guess? <laughs> What's his name? Robert. I liked Robert. Yeah, it was Robert. Robert Otto. Otto. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Like he was voiced by I comedian. Think Brad, yeah. I forgot his name. Comedian. Was, like Brad Garrett, I think. He was in a Everyone Loves Raymond, I believe. Brad Garrett, yeah. Yes. And now that I think about it, like the character model looks like a lot like him, <laughs> which should have been like a sign. Especially with his height. Wait, now I gotta look that up. <laughs> wow, okay, wow, yeah, you weren't kidding. Wow. Yes, this was a very Sprig... Like, Sprig was in most of this segment outside of maybe, like, the first, like, one or two minutes with the planners. It was, mo- it was a very, like, Sprig-heavy episode, and I still enjoy all, like, the spider... All the superhero gags we got, like... Especially that pigeon joke with like Sprig on like what is, what's assumed to be like a like a statue with just a bunch of pigeons like stacked together. Yeah, uh, for a second when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, isn't that where uh, Lokebot was at? Like he was camping?" But <laughs> then when the when we got a better angle with the pigeons, I'm like, "Oh no!" Yeah, I was thinking it was like a dark. Yeah, I thought it was like a Dark Knight reference or something. But like this, right. one, like you could just tell like every little thing in this episode was just like a labor of love. Like I just. Passion spewing out of it, and I loved every single second of it. It was like everything I wanted from a Spider-Man parody and more. Like, I, I'm calling. I mean, th- right now, this is my favorite solo Sprig episode, hands down. Like, I, I tried to look back at all the episodes that came before, and like, I can't. This one tops it all right here for me. Like, I'm calling it right now. I don't think there's going to be any future episode that ever tops this one for me. Maybe it'll be a number two. I mean, of course, it's going to be a number two, but like, right now, this one's number one in my heart. Any other thoughts on the segment, Nick? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, God, just like everything was just fantastic. Like I don't even know what to put it out there right now. Honestly, like I love the characterization of Sprig here, his development. Like Robert Otto set up as a villain. Like they had some really strong parallels between them. Like 
So don't even get me started on the music. Like, I, th- I, th- I think you told me it was like Electro Beat or something. Like, I really hope they released that because Rice was amazing. It went so well with the scenes, especially during the action scenes. Like, when Sprig and Otto were running around the city fighting, like, it was just perfection right there, especially when they ran up the building and tried to kick each other. Like, that was just all great. And then just, I really felt, I know people always complain about how Sprig, you know, he's kind of a little shit sometimes. I feel like this is really the episode that sort of clinches in him moving away from that persona. Because I feel like here, what I noticed is that this was like a lot less, this, I mean, even so this episode definitely did have its own you know, jokes and humor, right? I felt like this episode was a lot less comedic compared to Sprig's usual little shit episodes. Because when he's like, this wasn't even really Sprig scheming at all, right? Like, there's no, there's no Grinch face here. Instead, Sprig's like, wow, there's, a, there's this whole wide world out here that I need to explore. I want to be like Anne back in Amphibia, you know? I want to, I like, I just want to be out there. And, and, of course, there's the usual, oh, I want people to notice me. Okay, like, that happened. And then we fly, okay, now I'm going to fast forward towards the end. And I've been going on for a while, but I'm going to finish it right here. But, like, <laughs> usually, like, <laughs> usually the ending to his episodes are just Sprig kind of joking about how he didn't learn his lesson. But here he sort of did, and it was all on his own. Well, yeah, he got told by Molly Joe, but, like, you guys know what I mean here? Like, Sprig, there was no last-minute humor of Sprig just saying, oh, psych, I learned nothing today. No. Instead, Sprig, he actually took in that lesson and showed that he was actually remorseful about it. Of course, it was like the last-minute gag of Anne, but like, I, I just... I don't know. I feel like everything just really came together here, and I love this episode. Alright, thank you, Dick. Uh, Pixels, what were your thoughts on this segment? It was a really fantastic episode. There was, they had a lot of references besides Spider-Man. Uh, like I said before, uh, Tarantula is based off of Kamer Ichigo, which is the first ever common writer to ever debut in his franchise being back to 1971 just a little fact for y'all um but there is so uh it's just because spider-man is one of my favorite superheroes growing up it's like i already love this episode a lot the music made it fun and the pacing was so i like the pacing of this episode too the pacing was great um, the characters are great. Mary Jo, well, not Molly Jo, was a parody of, of Mary Jane, but she looked like Gwen Stacy. So, yeah, that, that confused me for a second. I didn't mind yeah, it, though. I didn't yeah, mind like a, it. Yeah. I feel I like she was like a it. cross between both of them or something. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let me keep going, keep going. Um, yeah, but what you said, Nick, the music, the music really fit. The music really helped. I really love the ending scenes, too, of the, of both of them climbing up the building. And I just thought that was really great. I said, ah, oh, I could catch so on, but this is a really top-tier episode in all of Amphibia we watched, so, Yeah. All right, thank you, Pixels. Yeah, like, a lot of these shots are, like, really, like, solid. Like, I think... I'm tra- I'm checking the timing of when all the action started to, like, ramp up. It was... The last four... The last four minutes of this episode were, like, basically just a long chase scene. And yeah, especially the shot of them, like, going up the building. It was just a really nice use of, uh... 
like auto like auto used fro uh not frobot uh cloakbot's like a arm very well like in in all these scenes maybe a little bit better than cloakbot himself it's just the yeah, way he, question yeah, he would have made a better and, overarching villain than the cloakbot yeah, and Spring didn't even question. He should have noticed the arm right away because he kind of just he 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 faced Cloakbot the previous episode. So, uh, I guess you know Uzbeks, I mean? Uzbeks, what were your thoughts on this segment? All right, I really liked it. Like the animation and humor, that was all very on. It was a fun send up of superhero, the superhero genre just in general from. The villain suddenly getting new technology and yelling to the hero and the girl who has to leave. Um, I thought the moral was good, but a little mishandled because Sprig did no collateral damage until he got attacked. Like, this is all Otto's fault. Sprig really didn't cause any damage. And so it's a little hard to, like, by him being in the wrong, even if it is a good message, I think they could have shown him being a little more disruptive doing it. Uh, right. But I did like. Oh, go ahead, Uzbek. Sorry. I did like um, how it paralleled Sprig's growth, like his desire to be loved, his desire for attention, his impulsiveness, um, and how that contrasts, like his desire to be recognized and acclaimed as a superhero running into the sort of the altruism and no, I don't need any reward that, like, superheroes are supposed to have. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was really funny. I liked Polly, Mr. Moonshoy, and Anne's little cameos, even if they weren't there that much. Um, the animation was great. Um, there were, like, four storyboarders for this, which is more than most for an 11-minute segment, at least in Amphibia. But it really showed in the quality and just the framing. It's great. Like you said, the building scene, the scene where he starts climbing, the bus stopping scene. There was just a lot of great stuff in this episode from a visual perspective. All right. Thank you, Uzbek. And yeah, like, I, I kind of thought about it a little bit too, where how, like, auto caused most of the damage. And I think if the show at least addressed that. Sprig wasn't really focused on stopping Otto and more just like hopping around the city. He didn't really make an effort to confront Otto. I think that would have enhanced the episode a little bit more. Because you know, it's just like a chase. Like, Sprig doesn't really like fight back, he just <laughs> keeps outrunning him. I do kind of wish they had Mr. X in it, like in a minor role. Like, you know how there's like always a cop who's standing there uselessly when there's a superhero fight or something. Like, he could have just, you know, been there. It's like, that's not even a bad point, because, like, where has Mr. X been from, like, the past? Yeah, like, like, Mr. The past X should be, stuff. like, watching, like, the minute a superhero called Frogman shows up, Mr. X should be like, wait, what? That's me. <laughs> it's like, Jenny, get the stun gun! <laughs> Maybe it's because he screwed up that one time, like, like you know, because he brought in a whole like, sw like SWAT team, right? And then he ended up like, yeah, yeah. and then like it ended up like basically nothing happening with that. So, right, I'm thinking like maybe they're being a little hesitant on how they helped out Mr. X with his cases. Yeah, but then he would have just gone solo and tried to do it himself. But anyway, that's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, but real quibble is the moral stuff. That's just like something that would have been cool, but it doesn't detract from the episode. Oh, like Mr. X thinks it's just like he looks out and just sees a superhero fight. He's like, nah, not not my problem. <laughs> uh, that I also like the minor detail of how uh of Otto and Molly Joe, they have like similar color schemes. Oh you're right. Oh wait, Otto and Molly Joe? Let me check. Really? Yeah, they have like they're like they have similar colors, like Oh, oh, oh like okay, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a nice minor okay. color. Like Oh I see like, it, yeah, I see it. That's pretty rad. That's what I really like about this episode. Like, it's just meant to be a Spider-Man parody, but then they went they went much harder than they actually needed to, and I love them for that. Like, this is I don't know. This, I, I just this is absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, and what's the uh when Spriggs like stuck to Molly Joe? Is that supposed to be like a reference to Into the Spider Verse? Yeah, I was thinking um, that. Like, that's what I was thinking. Um, Spider Man inadvertently getting stuck to his love interest is a reoccurring thing <laughs> in various uh, Spider Man properties. Oh, did that happen in the in the Ra- Raimi films? I him I, unintentionally stuck to stuff. I forget if it happened with Mary Jane in particular. I don't know why, but my brain's telling me like yes, like maybe I just I can't fully remember, but, but maybe. But I mean, you are right. It is a common thing. I mean, I, I guess maybe the Raimi, Raimi films going to do it. But like, I think I think you're right about it being a common thing here. Because I think yeah. just because it's. Molly Joe looks like Gwen Stacy, like Spider-Verse is like the first thing I can help think of. Yeah, I'm gonna guess being an animated yeah. film the first one the crew thought of as well, at least for this context. Oh, and, and the way Polly was talking about the film, she kind of reminded me of uh, Duckweed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, cri- the critic back yeah. in Amphibia. Like, you know, the way she said, like, you can't solve systemic problems in like a costume and by punching it, and by then wearing the a sock episode, on your head. <laughs> yeah, and then in the next episode, they literally create a villain who is like the systemic issues. Um, we'll talk about that later, obviously. Yeah, I don't even know. Like I, the internet has not been doing poorly well. <laughs> like I feel like she's become much more critical and cynical than she was before. Like it's really bringing back the whole straight man vibe she had back then. You know what I mean? Like that, that's sort of what she did here. Oh, yeah, that's true. I feel like there's even more. There's a lot more cynicism to it now. Like like Polly's just like like she was just I, I don't know saying things I I never would have thought she'd say before. Yeah, because before Polly, like I guess Polly's worldview was like a lot more simple. So just her it was just simple but effective insults but then now here she's like <laughs> she's she's on the internet now so she's looking at like she's expanding her vocabulary i guess yeah. <laughs> Man, when she just like criticized the hell out of that movie right in front of them when they're in tears i was like polly like, like come on i don't even know I, I just, I, I think, like, what did Hop Pop say? Like, did, didn't he say like, we should keep you away from the internet or something? Like, we should, we should cut back on your internet use. <laughs> yeah, please, yeah, please do that. Like, I am not comfortable with an overly critical poly. 
What's the name of the comic book dots? I'm looking it up right now. Uh, Kirby dots. Bay... Which one? Kirby dots. Oh, are they called Kirby dots? Okay, yeah, because I I like that that effect in uh. Oh, what are you guys looking for? Oh wait, I think maybe that's the Kirby Crackle. Oh, uh, never mind. That's just black space. Oh yeah, maybe it's Kirby dots. Actually, no. Kirby dots apparently is referring to field of black to represent negative space around explosion, smoke, blasts from ray guns, cosmic energy. Okay, okay m- maybe it might be Kirby dots. I know there's something else called like Bay. Something else dots. I I don't know. Maybe that's the one. Oh, Ben Day dots. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, Ben Day dots. That's what I was thinking about. Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, I like that use, like, like the, the use of that in some of those frames. Let's see. We covered the costume. Oh yeah, just the costume in general was a pretty like nice. Reminds uh, me of uh, Spider-Man One when uh, with Peter Parker in the steel cage in a way. Yeah. A yeah, it's supposed to be like the sort of prototype costume before they really uh, yeah get to their final version. But I, I, I still, I still thought it was kind of cool actually. You, oh you yeah, dumb, I was like, all right, this is actually pretty neat. And then, and then uh, Robert Otto he changed up his costume to look like. He definitely, like, they definitely were going for Doc Ock look with, like, the trench coat, and then... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> then Zach's name, his last name's Otto. <laughs> like, they, they, they were not, like, even trying to hide that away from us. They were not being subtle with this one. Yeah. They, they did not care. They, 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 they went with it. <laughs> so, you know what? We ain't gonna get to. We just say Robert Otto makes sense. Even... <laughs> uh... Dude, that's this this episode dodged so many bullets <laughs> because of copyright from copyright. Like, uh, well, they, now they don't Disney... actually need to worry about copyright. Oh, right. Disney um, and Marvel. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Disney Disney owns all of Spider Man's rights, with the exception of movie rights. Yes. And also, so... this is a very ironic episode. Very. Yeah, but at the same time, Disney. Higher ups are not going to like let them run amok with the Spider Man property. So, yeah, yeah. And then I just wish they got Alfred uh, Molina to yeah voice this guy because like they, so I was though. I was really praying I was like well, really any have my fingers crossed for that yeah yeah like because they got him for the multi the multi bear back in like Gravity Falls but. Maybe maybe he wouldn't want to like do the exact same role again. I, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe this it just never happened. Could never happen. But still, Brad Garrett was a yeah. like, Brad Garrett's voice is very like. It's like the perfect amount of like, ham and threatening like and threatening aura. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, 
Yeah. See, I really feel like yeah, because I know what you're going, I know what you're saying because I really feel I really felt like this episode captured like the feeling of the Raimi films where it's like yeah, it's kind of serious and also campy at the same time. Like like especially with some of the lines here where where you can tell these where it's like it's silly but these characters are taken very seriously. Like well, I, one of my favorite lines here is just when um. Uh, Robert Ardo just tells Sprig, this is no longer a popularity contest. This is a battle for the soul of a city. I was like, damn. <laughs> damn, man. Okay. <laughs> like, it's just great, you know? Like, I, I, I really feel the love they have for Spider-Man here. And I, I excited to Spider-Man, but heroes in general. Like, you could just... Sure, they're like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, like, they're obviously trying to call them out through Polly. But at the same time, though, they, they just know... The sort of fun and excitement that comes with it, and that's especially during the fight scenes. I feel like when when they taking like when they take the frame of the shots and they play around with them like that. God, it makes for such a gorgeous a gorgeous scene. And then, yeah, especially the chase where like like it's just like nonstop, and like I like how they it was probably it was probably. I like how they use roller skates to for Otto's uh like design because like they knew later on like they would need a way for him to like keep up with Sprig. I just like rollerblades. It was such like a weird, but like, uh, like it was a weird like decision, but like it makes perfect sense in like in the context of this episode. Really, I just. Like, everything is just, like, it, it's just right. Like, I have zero, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I understand why, I understand some of you guys' problems with this episode, but for me, I'm just, like, like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just zeroed out on all that, you know? Like, I just really enjoyed this episode. I, I have, like, nothing else, like, nothing, like no, no other thing I could have, like, wished for more. Like, I feel like it's not just a great parody on superheroes in general, but also just a great way to sort of Push break forward as a person, you know, because I think he's, I, we, I know we can't exactly say it yet, but I do feel like here at Spriggs, he's, he's really moving out of that, you know, he's really moving out of that, out of that point where he just craves attention and affection from so many people. Exactly, yeah, and I just, I just wish, like, they addressed a little bit how, like, like Uzbek's mentioned that it was Otto who caused most of the damage, but like maybe they could have like done something where it would justify Sprig like realizing that like he was like the, the main source of the conflict. Or the main source not main source, but one of one of the leading factors that caused all this damage. But like I still think it was like a really, it was a really great episode. It was really good and I there were some great parallels to Marcy in this. Which yeah, well, um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not sure how much we want to talk about how these two episodes relate to one another because there are a few things I'd like to discuss. Do we want to do that now, or should we move on to Union and Olivia, or Olivia and Union? Uh, I think we could kind of touch on. We're not going to touch on the next segment, but I guess you could can talk about in general how. Tarantula lad is a lot like it's a lot of what Marcy wanted and got to do in Utopia for a good for a good while. 
and the similarities in appearance. And I'm also just going to say, like, the scene at the end where, Ant, like, you risk all of us so you could play dress-up. That is very yeah. similar to what happened with Marcy. Um, For sure. Fantasy using fiction as a prop to make yourself, you know, fit in in a new world. Um, this disregard for the feelings and advice of others in favor of your sort of fantasy before finally being called out. Um, <laughs> this desire to be, like, beloved, which Marcy has. So, yeah, there's a lot of parallels between what Marcy did in Newtopia and in Season 2 to, like, this episode. And in the case of this episode, at least Sprig was called out for it very early on. But, like, in Marcy's case, that she was she was in an environment that was basically designed to uh, not touch on those issues with like a figure that was like that act- that actively set out not yeah. to improve Marcy in a substantial way, I guess. Yeah, because I mean, Sprig had actual people like looking out for him and like. Those who weren't afraid to call him out, even so, like, they're his biggest fans, like Molly Joe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not. Those parallels are definitely there. Uh, wait, shoot. Wait, did, did we mention how Sprague parallels uh, Robert Otto? Like, did, did we mention that at all? Yeah. You brought up a little bit in, in your first, in your initial thoughts. Oh, but okay. yeah, if you want, you yeah. can expand on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's pretty neat because I, I know back in um, what was a tie feud, we got we got the, the we got like the parallel between like Sprig and Ned, where they're just they're like just trying to force relationship onto Mrs. Bingeworth that she obviously wasn't okay with, you know, really overstepping their boundaries as people. And then you know, fast forward here, we have Robert Otto. It's sort of the same. Like you said, he was like in the neighborhood neighborhood watch, right? It's sort of like an unofficial position, right? Where where he just he he wants all the affection and glory that comes with being a hero, but like he's lost, he's lost sight of the original meaning of a hero and really just puts himself or other people in danger. Like that's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's basically what Spree got up to here. And like, I, I guess I just really like that. I, I think, I mean, I, I didn't, ex- honestly, I did not expect myself to end up loving Robert Otto as much as I did, but like, I think it's just like, I think it's the parallel between him and Sprig and <laughs> really just the campiness and just all the action that surrounded him. Like, I, I, he, he, I think he ended up being one of my favorite Earth characters there. Yeah, he's definitely, like, top top three for me. Actually, maybe top two. Like, I think I, I like Mr. X. But I maybe I like Otto a little bit more. <laughs> I think might just say he's my number. No, I'm, I'm giving. No, I'm, I'm going to say it. I think he's my number one right now because I don't. I'm trying to think like what other Earth characters have we met and like. Oh, Doctor yeah. Jan! Shit! Okay, yeah. I know Doctor okay. Jan. Doctor Jan's like, number one, and then the Boothroy parents. So well, okay. Well, that's. I feel like the Boothroy parents are cheating. <laughs> I feel like those two are cheating. Yeah, those two are like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, let's just say non Let's just say non-Boontroy parents then. Like non-Boontroy or um characters. I'm, I'm gonna put Robert Otto as my number one just because he's part of what made Spider Sprague my favorite Sprague episode. It's an all-around fantastic villain. Like I just like 
it really just writes for itself if you get what I mean. Like, just think about it. You're like, he's an aging grandfather, right? Like, his, his granddaughter doesn't give him the respect he deserves. The neighborhood doesn't give him the respect he deserves. Like, no one does. And here comes this young, this young new vigilante who doesn't follow any rules, like, try, like uprooting him from any respect he ever could have gotten. It, it's just, it's all right there, and I love it. It really, it, it really does feel like something I could just read from a comic. Like, there's actual thinking here that goes into the right. I'm surprised he would just throw himself... I'm surprised he's lived this long, especially in this episode where he just, just went right in front of the, in front of the runaway bus. <laughs> got, he got... Literally, he, he got hit by it and still, like, walked away from that. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. <laughs> he did, he's like, hey, I slowed it down. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know. It's cartoon, cartoon physics, right there. And it, well, I bet he's like probably close to seventy-two or something. Like, yeah, I don't know. Seventy, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. That whole scene was just hilarious. No, like, actually, no. We got to mention though. Like, I feel like Sprig has had like a power creep since season one. He managed to stop an entire bus with his tongue. Like, can you imagine him doing that back in season one? Hell no. He'd wonder what a bus is. Yeah, and I like how like last week kind of teased that his uh his powers were getting stronger when he like navigated the balloon. Oh yeah, like Christ, like I he's never stressed his tongue out that long, but hell, he was doing it. Oh you said like you said like it was um what is it? You said it was helping out inspired spring. I guess it sort of did here. Like, if this happened in season one, I'd be thinking, like, oh, man, like, Sprig can do all that with his, like, with his tongue, but, like... Yeah, now it feels more natural, you know, because we've just seen him, like, we've just seen him go through, like, multiple fights, so at this point, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Obviously, like, a power creep is gonna happen here. Yeah, so, like, all the, all the planners are leveling up, like, Sprig's... You got Sprig, who's just... Tongue powers and webbed feet. You have Polly who's got legs, and then Hop yep. Hop's already a tank, so he's just yeah. <laughs> wait, I just realized is, is the wet wait is the is the whole climbing onto walls. That's not just Sprig specific, is it? Have we seen no, any? It, have we seen anyone else do it? Actually, I haven't seen the. Oh, Hop Hop did it back yeah. in uh taking charge. You don't do it. Um, oh yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I know, I know, like the newts, but I'm just thinking like any other frogs. I, I guess Hop Hop did it. I think yeah, that was the only time we saw him do it was yeah, when he was he trying was... to avoid getting caught on <laughs> yeah. Suspicion Island. Jeez. Yeah, but I know that's that's just pretty rad, you know. Like every, it's just pretty nice that like our sort our sort of like preseason three discussions became true here, right? Like everyone's really just branching out. And just sort of developing a part of themselves they couldn't handle amphibia, right? Like, Holly has gotten to just show off how intelligent she is. I mean, Hop Hop, we can guess what he's doing, right? Like, he's fulfilling a dream that he didn't really get to tackle back in amphibia. Sprig, uh, I, I guess he's finding out what it's like to have a full family. And I know, I know we still don't fully know yet because we don't know the future. But I just really feel like this, this might just be the last, like... This might just be the last episode that's just driven by Sprigg's, uh, Sprigg's desire to be loved. So I think, like, I don't know, I think Sprigg's really getting there, too. I think this might be, like, Sprigg's last solo episode. 
No, no. He might get no way, no way. Well, maybe he's like this, a solo episode. He might get like a pair up episode with Anne or something. Yeah, he'll have a pair up episode. But like okay. this is very, yeah, like very sprig solo. Yeah. And this yeah, is... our friend, our friend Advent, like brought up how like each planner is getting an episode where they let themselves like have their impulses take over them before like everything was crashing down. It's <laughs> so, like in case of Polly, we had we had fixing Frobo. And then Sprig has Spider Sprig. And then probably Hollywood Hop Hop is going to be Hop Hop's uh, claim to fame. Temporarily, I guess. I, I don't know. But. He's gonna, yeah, don't just, forget, he's going to get bombed out. <laughs> he's going yeah, to get bombed out. Oh, yeah, that yeah. golf cart scene I'm looking forward to. <laughs> it just seems like he's having a good time. And like a bomb goes off. He's like, what? That's going to be great. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have the planners get their yep. get their time on Earth. But I think I, I'm trying. I'm going through the episode again, and I think we've covered everything. Oh, just quick thing. Uh, this is the second time Polly has gotten the second time someone spit their drink out at Polly. I think Hop Hop did it in Adventures in Cat Sitting, and then Anne does it again here when she's browsing the news. Oh, and she then... did? Wow. Yeah. So bad for her. Still funny. I love a good old spin take. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Amphibious sort of like. It's not always consistent with, with its gags, right? Like, I, I know, like, they, they did the whole not the baby thing in a utopia arc, but it only happened, like, twice, right? Like, Marcy at the Gates and Hopping Mall, I think. And then we have the whole bullying Mr. Boonchoy, like, I, I don't know, I, I feel like, yeah. There was no Boonchoy bullying this episode. Yeah, this is the first yeah, time we've got that. Yeah, there was no bullying here. <laughs> I mean, I guess there was Polly criticizing his favorite movie right in front. Like, it's funny, like, I can, he, he was crying right there, being all emotional about it. And then Polly's just like, nah, this movie's garbage, sorry. <laughs> I just thought that was so mean. At least they didn't show him suffering and just yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that was nice at least jeez I don't know but the internet is I don't know it's it's thankfully it brought Polly to the IT gals but like jeez you know it's it's man <laughs> so critical of everything oh I found uh like I I'm reading whatever Otto was reading about like the news for Spider for Frogman, there's an article, like, it's, it, it's, the description or the article is pretty funny, where it's talking about how uh, Los Angeles is a gog man for Frogman, and who could blame anyone for loving this little weirdo? He's pink as a pig, built like an eight-year-old, has a tongue that makes us sick, and yet his amphibious dynamo has captured the hearts of every... I'm guessing this is lingo for Los Angeles citizens, uh, Ang Angolino, yeah, and his, no, no, yeah, and his slimy, slimy charms. <laughs> like it's just, I, I just, I just feel like that's like comic book inspired, right there. Like, I, I just love it. Everything about this episode. Yeah, like, and he's looking at like a post from like Mary Jo, like of her like posting Frogman pics. 
Oh, in his yeah. feed. <laughs> he was freaking. Yeah, he was freaking out about that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I, I, just felt, I just felt his eyes just sticking out of his head. <laughs> the blood out. red. Yeah, it was great. It was oh, great. and then, and then the, the meme, the meme screenshot of like oh, the red dress girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was awesome. That was great. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> like that just that just broke him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I already, I already mentioned discount Mario. Uh, yep. Okay, I think I think it's time to go on to no. Olivia and Yunnan. The meat and potatoes. Am I right? Let's get into it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so we got Olivia Nunan, directed by Jen Strickland, hey. written by Geneva, Geneva Mai, and storyboards by Eddie West and Drew Applegate. So the episode starts off with a it starts off with a flashback of uh, Margie's time uh, Margie's time in Amphibia very early on. Uh, she's still in the cast when she fell down that flight of stairs. Uh, Olivia explains that she comes from a line her, her family uh, has been, has sworn an oath to protect uh, I guess the surrounding nature, the nature that's surrounding uh, Utopia, and how she has like a duty to protect this and uh, Marcy uh, makes that same like promise to Olivia as well, and then we get we have that shot of like the landscape that immediately changes to present day. We see it getting ripped apart by uh, Andrews's uh, uh, robot army production war machine. Everything's getting ripped apart. Uh, the the castle, even the castle itself, is like falling. Is like Ero- I don't want to say eroding, that happens over like millions of years, but it's like falling apart now. That's probably getting stripped for materials as well. And then like Olivia is like sadly looking out of the balcony until she's summoned by a robot summons her. A robot mentions that she's being summoned by Andreas, so she meets up with Yunnan. And they mention how this is like the first time in a few weeks that he's actually like called for them after that after the events of True Colors. So like they peek in and they notice that Andrus is talking to himself. We'll later we'll we'll later learn who he's actually talking to. Uh, he's talking about testing out some kind of device. It's not ready yet, but they're going to still they're going to still proceed as planned. Uh, then at that point, Andrus properly uh, welcomes. If that's a it's probably the wrong word for this. Welcomes them in. He mentions that they're getting promoted. Where Olivia has to oversee the refineries, and Olivia and Yunan has to basically like round up a bunch of frogs, uh, or just a bunch of villagers, and just make them work in the factory. And yeah, we still get that same Andreas jolly psychopath nature. About how like if if anyone like refuses his orders to like terminate them, and then Olivia once they leave the room, Olivia's like raging about everything that's going on before 
Yunnan rightfully like takes her aside and tells her to like speak like speak privately if she's like gonna talk about treason. <coughs> so yeah, Olivia not Olivia, Yunnan agrees that like King Andrews has lost his mind, they gotta figure a way to figure out a way to stop him. And then Olivia points out that maybe they should uh, rescue Marcy since she's like she's been the only one who's been able to beat Andrews at Flipboard. That she's probably smart enough to help uh, figure out a way to I guess, stop all of this. And like we get briefly, Yunan throwing shade at the girls for being backstabbers, as we saw in True Colors, but Olivia insists they can trust Marcy. So they decide to head down to they decide to rescue Marcy. They have to pass a bunch of robot guards and Olivia pulls off her like normal climbing tricks and gets them over that first hallway. Eventually they enter Marcy's room and they go through the trap door we saw in uh, Sleepover to End All Sleepovers. We encounter that uh, underground garden where they encounter a moss man. And Olivia mentions a little bit that in the past she's actually uh, even though she was forbidden from coming into this room, she's actually been down there a few times when she was younger. And we get that shot of the Moss Man meeting them for the first time, or meeting uh, meeting Unan for the first time. Uh, they keep walking, they encounter the Shadowfish as well. Uh, Olivia kind of... Like, Olivia's just guessing or predicting, but she's probably correct that this is where all the prisoners from other worlds are stored. So then eventually they come across this giant ominous door. They mentioned earlier that there were rumors about a monster guarding Marcy's uh guarding Marcy. They go inside, they find Marcy in the tube, they bust her out. We get those ominous eyes on the wall. Marcy's still a little bit disoriented from her time in the tube. Uh just when they're about to get out, all the walls like the walls light up and we get this kind of VR holographic projections uh, that have somehow read their minds and kind of uh, it forms some of their biggest fears where like Olivia sees her mom like being upset that she allowed Andreas to like ruin the ruin the like ruin the land around them. Uh, Yunan Yudan sees a uh, grub hog, which is apparently like apparently scarred her as a childhood when it grabbed her hand. Uh, and then, like, of course, like we see like these mutated versions of whatever hor like fears they had come and chase after them. And then Marcy, of course, uh, sees Anne and Sasha like being upset that. She brought them to Amphibia. It becomes like this weird monster thing. General Grievous, Sashan looking thing. <laughs> and then eventually Yunan like figures out that the eyes are projecting everything. And then they all set up to like destroy all the eyes and destroy the destroy the simulation. They think they're about to get out. But then, of course, Andrew's is waiting at the door, and then we find out that his crown has like this weird, the weird same eye thing that we saw from the giant multi-eyed 
mechanical creature which comes which comes down from the ceiling at the same time and grabs Marcy. And then Anne just talks about how like how studying these creatures from other worlds, such as the Mossman, helped improve their medical tech while the Shadowfish allowed them to cheat death. And basically all of Newtopia's smartest minds uh, downloaded themselves into this mechanical beast known as the Core. And it's been wanting a new host, and it's decided that the only host they would choose is the one that would beat Andreas at Flipwort, which was Marcy. So we get that final, like, we get that shot of Marcy getting taken over by the by the core. Like, whatever the core's pre- previous shell was has seemingly been emptied and gone into Marcy. And the episode ends with this possessed Marcy dubbed Dark Darcy by the credits apparently. Uh ends with that thing speaking through Marcy, and that's that's the episode. That's Yunan and Olivia. So there's a there's a lot of background lore to go through. There's a lot to discuss here. Like this was a really this I really like this episode because it did give us quite a bit of answers. Not all of them, but it gave it gave enough. It and it definitely con- confirmed a lot of suspicions we've had for the past year about what's going on with Andreas and now we've learned the core. And I really enjoyed how it was framed from Yunan and Olivia's perspective. That kind of gave us more of a that gave us a new perspective on this I guess the show in general, since we're mostly focused on Anne, or even we we focused a little bit on on Sasha as well, but this is mostly focused on a pair of characters we haven't really seen that much. And then un, until later on it kind of introduces it reintroduces Marcy into the into the season again, or into the show again. And yeah, there was there wasn't really a lot of fighting. It was mostly it was just Olivia and Yudan walking through the castle, and a some of it was comfort like a lot of it. It revisited a lot of places, but gave us like the context we needed. So I guess that's where a lot of the satisfaction came from, and then the ending especially, which I guess will. I guess we'll save the ending speculation and discussion about what the core is uh, after we go through Yuna and Olivia's story. I guess starting with Pixels, what were, what were your thoughts on this segment? Uh, this girl can't catch a break. I'm sorry. It's just holy crap. <laughs> but this episode, it was good. Um, but with, with you saying, because in the trailer, we did see that clip of i thought that they would that she would be fighting the robots so like where's the fight scene okay did we get duped for some do we get duped but i kind of was okay with it because it was a it was a sneak around in a way and and i feel like there's a lot more bots than there is in hallways 
so they would respond more quickly. But I really love this. This is another good episode. It's uh, we got to learn more about Unit and Unit and Olivia, especially Olivia, which I'm glad to learn more about. And I'm glad we got a flashback of Marcy and stuff. And but hearing the lines and seeing the because in the beginning we saw like the whole everything with the trees and the animals and a wide shot but we go into the present where it's almost industrial you know what i mean like with the factories and the robots we see um when uh andreas said the word device i was like ah crap we're we're at that part now we're heading into that part it's just um also there's the robotic voice of the core i thought that we in the trailer we got a different voice from that so i'm wondering if this is like a last minute change or i think we'll save that discussion for later but yeah i think i I think it's i think it's going to be from someone else okay 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 that's what i was wondering um but this is another really good episode (laughs) Just, uh, I. We got two weeks until the Christmas episode, and I'm really not ready for that. So. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you, Pixels. Uh, Uzbeks, what were your thoughts on this on this segment? It was very good. Um, for obvious reasons, I didn't have, like, the most fun ever watching it. But, like, in terms of just sheer quality, it's. I think the best of season three, um, probably the best pure plot since True Colors. Um, I've dis- we've discussed in the past how sometimes Amphibia has a problem rushing and lacking emotional moments, especially in the 15-minute 15, 15 uh, segments. I don't think it had that problem here. I thought we got great characterization for Olivia and Yunan, which we hadn't gotten before. I mean, we got some... Like, a good look at them, especially Olivia. Uh, we got a good look into where Marcy is. Uh, Andreas was great. Keith David was great. Um, that final scene was brutal, but it was some of the best animation we've seen in the series thus far. <laughs> um, there's great character parallels, both among the people we've seen here and with other characters throughout the show. It's, I mean, the plot, like, it got started right away, but it didn't feel too rushed. Um, It gave us great insights into all four of the characters. Well, plus the core. Um, Yeah, it was just, yeah, this is definitely, I think, the best episode of season three so far. All right. Thank you, Uzbix. Nick, what were your general thoughts on the segment? Honestly, I mean, basically you guys said, uh, I was really happy to get um, characterization for both Yen and Olivia, especially after season two, where I didn't feel unsatisfied, but I really just, I was really interested in them and just learning more about them. So I'm happy that this episode gave us that, um, especially Olivia here. I feel like they're, they're definitely setting something up for her because that flashback scene, um, 
as much of it was as much of it was supposed to be for Mars, dude, it was just, it was like really important for Livia too, you know. Just learning what not only in not only in Utopia but Amphibia as a whole meant to her, that that was really nice. Um Really, yeah. Also, yeah, yeah, this I love Andrews, so I love it when the show like definitely definitely tells you that yeah, he is a compelling villain. There are like layers to him, there's he's there's complexity. Like I, I just loved every any every single every scene of Andrews in this episode. Like loved it. Um Yunan, yeah, Yunan was great here. Marcy was great here. A lot of yeah, a lot of emotional scenes I felt hit perfectly here. Like especially at the end. Um I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I, I just have like a lot of thoughts about this episode, so I can't collect them perfectly, but like I'm I'm just gonna say like pretty damn good. Alright, thank you, Nick. And yeah, like like Amphibia is no stranger to having segments that focus outside of the the core cast, but I guess Olivia and Yunan, we haven't really seen too much of them compared to like characters like even Ivy or Toadstool or Wally. So like having the first, I'm looking at the time here. It's I, I'm I'm going up until the part where they meet Marcy, or meet up with Marcy again. It's it's essentially five minutes, five like, so nearly half the half the segment is them is focused around them with like maybe like a first the flashback scene with Marcy and Andreas in the in the beginning, but we're along. We're following them for the first five minutes, and yeah, I think this definitely felt this definitely in, gave a lot more context to Olivia's character than Yunan. But then I don't think Yunan really needed like whatever they gave to us in this episode was more than enough to uh, kind of flesh out Yunan's like history, like Yunan's life and motivations and whatever. I mean, it, even looking back, like, when she gets mad at Sprigg for breaking the statue, or when she gets mad at Marcy and Anne for tracking the palace, that all comes back here. Yes. In the sense of protecting... It's a great parallel with Andreas. I mean, she's with his oath to her mother. Andreas is trying to do what his ancestors want. So there's that parallel. So, yeah, it's just a really good sort of introduction. The re- revelation that she snuck down gives her a bit more of a rebellious streak. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to, with Olivia. This and since it's at the beginning of the segment, I kind of want to touch on how uh, the show very explicitly points out that uh, Andrews is like, like all the all the material required for Andrews Andrews invasion is has to come from somewhere, and I really liked how they kind of covered like the sustainability and like the environmental impact that this like that this type of world that existed in Amphibia before and is coming back now like this kind of like advanced world had a cost came with the cost oh, i didn't even think about that yeah you're so yeah, right about I, that because we only saw the floating council right we never we never really saw like what was underneath it what it took to manage all of that machinery we never yeah, saw we that saw, andreas was talking about how great utopia was and we saw these like aerobe dudes with these floating screens but none of the like consequences of that yes and i was trying at this glorious past where utopia was great that he's going to restore 
that that restoration is destroying Utopia. Right, and I was trying to look for an article that I felt like I saw in 2019 about Matt talking about, like, themes of environment. But I think the article, I, like, the only article I could find was, like, talking about Anne and her environment and without her phone and whatever. So maybe I was misremembering something, but I felt like Matt mentioned yeah. once or twice in an interview, like, back in 2019, <laughs> about, like, themes of, like, sustainability environment or whatever. And I don't know whether, like, I was misremembering things or not, but I'm just glad those themes came back into play because it's very relevant. Is it's it's a nice parallel to like the real world as well as like this, even in this story itself, like seeing, yeah, just seeing Andrus like this this robot army that like this army Andrus is manufacturing. It's not like. It's not this like magical. Oh, just a bunch of robots come out. Like there's a clear, there's a clear cost to all of this. And then as well as you can't, Andrews can't manufacture the solution to every problem he has or every like work he needs. Like which is why he probably needed frog laborers because he needed to focus all like production on like making combat robots instead of like, ma- instead of making more like just general construction workers like there's a clear focus on andrews okay like use every resource you have here whatever you can find and just like eventually throw it at earth once that happens and then i guess next we could talk about how there were a lot of callbacks to the newtopia arc which makes sense because we're in utopia like Sleepover to end all sleepovers. We saw Shadowfish and the Mossman. We got like we got answers. <laughs> or we yeah, got confirmation. Just, just yeah. It was. I, th- I think we definitely can't say it sort of was in the style of the sleepover uh, of sleepover, right? Like where like the characters are rushing to get to get to the location, and we have all these background details popping up. Just either having like foreshadowing to them, or just like giving us some form of confirmation and yeah that's that's what we really really got from this album i'm gonna say like this is like last half of the episode right and like in sleepboard and all sleepers they 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 ran like they ran through all this and then at least in olivia and unit we just got to like walk through it yeah yeah because like they're they're definitely trying to tell us something right like there's like we're revisiting all these locations we saw over we saw over a season ago like they're they're definitely trying to they're definitely trying to make us Slow down and think, wait a minute, you know, just piece things together here. Like, there, there is definitely a reason why we retraced our steps back then. And we got that, like, nice scene of the Moss Man. So, apparently, this seems to be the same Moss Man that Olivia met when she was a girl, like, when she was younger. She, she immediately knew it was, like, harmless when it met Yunnan. And so they, they don't really, they don't really spell it out for you. But they just like Olivia just casually mentions, "Oh, it's harmless. Like he's friendly." Yeah, it kind of implies that she's met it before. Yeah, I think Olivia might have mentioned that she snuck down here. Yeah, a she couple snuck. Of times. She snuck down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty interesting. But oh, oh yeah, sure. I was going to mention. So I remember. Yeah, it's, it's when you were mentioning like the um, environmental damage that uh, that Andrus's campaign was having on the city. Like, like even I feel like. 
it's right now they've kind of swapped the color palettes for Amphibia. They, yeah, they kind of swapped the color palettes for like you know um, season one Earth flashbacks with Utopia. Like it, it's a lot duller now. They're using a lot more brown, like a lot more brownish colors. Like everything's just so devoid of life at this point. Uh, like, yeah. it's, it's just such a nice contrast because like Amphibia just it just used to be this wondrous, amazing world, but now like. We're fully aware of just how dangerous it really is. Well, I mean, there, there are obviously, yeah, there, there are always creatures trying to kill them, but you know what I mean. Like, this is, this is definitely something even worse. Oh, there's also the line that Olivia's family has been serving. Oh, the Leviathans? The, yeah. the, the, the Leviathan family for, like, generations. So, like, yeah. I'm guessing they were all in the dark about yes. what was actually going on. Yeah, I guess, or, or maybe because there were other worlds, we they didn't really need to see the impact of their legacy on their own world. Yeah, that's so, yeah, there's a good chance that they might have like fully drained those other worlds, right? Like, like the Statusfish world, the Mossman world. Like, there, there's a chance. There, there's so hmm. yeah, there's a uh, chance just, of yeah. and Shadow Man, Shadowfish. In Amphibia are like the last ones. Now, there's also a chance that when the box got lost, the Shadowfish and Mossman like got independence. Yeah. So, pick your poison. I don't think we're gonna get like I don't think we're ever gonna visit those worlds. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, we practically. I mean, we basically got what we needed to from from those two. So, like, uh, there's some crazy does stuff in this episode. Questions about the Mossman in Wartwood? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And what he's, what's he doing there, bud? And those ruins he's near, like, was there a fort there? Like, what's the deal here? And that may be something Sasha may want to look into, although she doesn't know it yet. Yeah, there's, yeah, maybe maybe Newtopia wasn't the only place that had, that had, I guess. Prisoners from other worlds. Maybe it was spread out through Amphibia. Then, once everything collapsed, it, like once the box left and everything kind of reverted back to a, I don't want to say evolved. They kind of not devolved. It, it evolved into its natural state when the world evolved without. When the world went on without, I guess the technological wonders Utopia had, like these other creatures were able to like, just like roam around and in solitude. Yeah, plus I'm guessing after Andrews was friends with Trayton, like he was he wasn't like the most active king, I'm guessing. But, because it seems like I mean, we saw how we handled like kingly duties I said dude no kingly duties on like a daily um basis, right? Like Olivia always has to remind him to act like a king. Um and first temple, like at the towards the towards Zenny, like you need to try to warn Andreas about a potentially coming invasion. What does he what does he have to say about it? He doesn't care. Well, gr- granted, at the time, like Marcy, like since Marcy was there, he was probably oh, like, fixated yeah. on that. Yeah, that's true. But then maybe it's it, it would be nice to know like how what what Andreas is doing for like a thousand years after the box like just disappeared. Yeah. Like, like yeah. what we're what was what was he and the cord like doing? Were they just like biding their time or just yeah, waiting? I had probably a lot of planning of that. that. Like 
Skipman dude was, you know, there was a Skipman there. Maybe he was looking for other humans. If they didn't beat him at Flipport or whatever and weren't a viable host, like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah, that that plot point still still that's open to see what's happening. Yeah, I, still, I've I've always been, still, I've always liked the idea of the oh, Doctor Octopus guy went to amphibia theory. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. You need like a gong sound effect whenever we discuss a theory dying. Um, <laughs> or like those like Hunger Games, like, those like horns, yeah. and then they have like the the tribute. In the night sky. Yeah. <laughs> Except just start theories. <laughs> just like just like five paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, like we'll make a theory that never will be. But yeah. Um Yeah. Um I do find it funny that Yunan is complaining about the king going crazy when he's like Yunan. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like, it, it, it's a pretty funny contrast from like, to- I, I guess I don't know. It's just a pretty funny contrast from like Toad Castle, where like she's practically insane, right? Just ruthless, bloodthirsty, just a killer right there. You so, could tell she spent yeah. less time with Marcy than Olivia because she's like seems to be basing her opinions on Sasha rather than Marcy. Yeah. Going um, all like traitorous backstabbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, Andreas, Andreas wants slave labor from the frogs. Yeah, he didn't even say like he didn't say just anyone. He just said frogs. Like it is true about frogs. Like the bottom of the totem pole or whatever. But you know that'll be fun for Sasha, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And. I think you were going to mention something, but I forgot. I thought you were going to mention something about the Skipman thumb. Like, oh, I was just—I really like the idea that uh, maybe like this wasn't the most recent human encounter that Andrews has had or heard about, but like maybe there's because of a series of events, like he wasn't able to—he wasn't able to like actually like pinpoint them but just heard like the the whispers like you're just aware of their presence at some time yeah yeah like yeah yeah i like that idea especially since we know like time moves one to one and then yeah like, just i, I, I like, think what there's there's a human yeah. where and he's like send everyone send everyone he's like oh shit they're, they're gone yeah they're already gone <laughs> goes back yeah. to sitting on his chair for another yeah. like 20 years and that, imagine having to be the messenger who tells Andrews that like they're gone <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what he would do to them like god feed uh, the shadow fish yeah probably <laughs> yeah. he's like can you, can you check the basement for me real quick locks the door <laughs> <laughs> yeah he leaves them down there but <laughs> But I guess back to the basement discussion, like we met the moss man, met the fat shadowfish. We get to the we get to that door. Actually wait, no, I, I can't we can't talk about the core yet. I'll talk about the door later. They they get Marcy out. She I like how she can't really walk since she's just been floating for a few weeks. I like how like Olivia just had like a blanket, like a teacup. Oh and, uh, yeah. 
just like poured her some tea. Yeah, she's very motherly like that. And I like, yeah, that, that was that was pretty sweet. I know people are always talking about Mom Olivia. So like, I, I I guess there's that for them. Yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, cute. then like Olivia like shook her down. <laughs> yeah, but did, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't slap Marcy in the face, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, she did. She slapped her like three times. Started shaking yeah. her by the yeah, and by yeah, the collar. Marcy, yeah. She, uh, something clearly is up with him. Like, she, her immediate reaction wasn't like, oh, I got stabbed. Sorry, Anne. Like, she thinks it's Sasha and Anne. She's, I'm not even sure she ever realized that she was stabbed in the chest. And she was pretty delirious of that scene. And, like, yeah. It's just, I don't know. You, you can tell she's still dealing with a lot of guilt and just a lot of damage after all that. But yeah. So, yeah she, no, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, she was. She's clearly very out of it at the start. Um, once she's in the thing, like I think I found it a little odd how quickly she like snapped into the danger and was like, "Okay," and then like immediately after that whole like and Sasha thing happened, she like is immediately back to like hugging Olivia and Yunan and like, "Yay, guys, we're a good team" or whatever. Like she doesn't. There didn't seem to be that sort of long term effect. I guess she was exhausted at that point or something. What? Uh, no, I'm just guessing she was exhausted at that point. I'm not sure. Like, afterward, like, I'm guessing she got hyped up into battle. And then after yeah, all that she, happened, she was just drained at the point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, like, I, I guess, I mean, I am kind of sad that she's going for this. But also, I'm like, but I also have to say, it's, it's a pretty neat, it's a pretty neat idea. I don't even really call it detail idea. Just, just have Marcia still feel delirious, weak, after true colors. Like it, you, you really yeah. do get to see the effect that it still has on her. Yeah. Um. I really liked all the hallucinations. I think Olivia feeling pressured by her ancestors that makes sense. By her mother that makes sense. Interesting parallel with Andreas. Um, Yudan the Grubhub, Grubhog. Nice season one callback. <laughs> An explanation of the war it was going to. Uh, some comic relief. We didn't get as much into like Yunan's psyche. But uh, I thought it was a great detail of how <laughs> um, like Marcy knows this is fake. She knows it's real. Like not real. Like she sees the that it's a projection. And she still breaks down in tears when Anne and Sasha show up in the hallucination thing. Like, it's just that heavy for her. Yeah, like, she's still dealing with, like, a lot of guilt after true colors. Yes. It is in school, like, in the place, it's, like, in L.A., the place she took them away from. Yeah, ah, damn. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out. Yeah, because it's just, it's still really, really, really affecting her. It's just really sad, I guess. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, what was I going to say? I just had something I missed. Oh, well. Oh. I like how, like, she tried, like, she was, like, struggling to walk towards them. And she's. She, she knew it was a hallucination, but she immediately like was like trying to talk to them. Yeah, I, I do wonder. Obviously, we'll talk a bit more about 
the core in a bit, but like, um, how did it know like all these fears? Like, is it psychic? I wasn't sure if it was the core itself or just the the device itself that was able to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. The other thing I will say, if the core has eyes and ears all over the castle, like with the crown, get a little head of ourselves. Like it could have just like watched and like figured out based on what it saw of Union, like it spied on Union and found out it she was afraid of Grapogs and like knew Olivia was like sensitive about her mother or whatever. Oh, so it could be the case that just because uh just because Olivia, Union and Marcy have all been around the castle that it probably like remembers Yeah, and I find yeah, it all that data. It's a little more interesting that way rather than just like, it, oh, it taps into your subconscious. Yeah, skills. yeah, right. So yeah, I, I like that like idea better. Other vibe. It, it sort of shows. Obviously, I don't want to get too much into the core now, but like the intelligence to like figure all that out without psychic powers. Oh. Right, and it also had to visualize. Yeah, that stuff too. <laughs> I mean, they did a good Wait, job actually, of yeah. Now, like, maybe there's a maybe there's a little bit of mind reading. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little, but uh, I mean, they did a great job of like making them look monstrous, though. Like every every single monster form, like just really gruesome stuff, right there. Especially monster like, mom. like yeah, my, yeah, the monster mom, like the grub hogs, especially like just like the mashup of Sasha and Ant, just like a monstrous manifestation of. Like of Marsh's guilt and regret, like, just right there. Which is really great. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, to all those Sasha Ann fans out there, you got what you want. You got what you want. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Big time Steven Universe reference. Oh, yeah, they, they, it was a fusion. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but I liked how they worked together. To defeat the eyes. Um, no, this is not Sasha Ant eye foreshadowing, but like that was fun, them sort of breaking out of this hallucination together. Uh, Marcy using both her clumsiness and her uh, arrow shooting ability. Yeah, I like how she just like bump into bumped into some of the some of those eyes. <laughs> and I liked how even though Marcy was obviously going through a lot here. That she was still Marcy. Like, she was still clumsy. She was still, like, the first, like... Like, she thought it was so cool that, like, it was this VR room, even as it's, like, trying to kill him. Um, she still had her crossbow ability. <laughs> like, it's still Marcy. Uh, which makes it all the more tragic what happens next, but... Yeah, yeah classic Marmar. Yeah, it, yeah, it was classic Marmar. But, you know extra so yeah so we we got to that point where they're trying to break out and Andrew's just like yeah and just smacks them yeah he just bombs them he doesn't even them. Like, yeah it's not even a slap like he just pushes he, them like, he just pushes them <laughs> he like, pushes them down the stairs <laughs> like that was holy shit like that was like, so, low-key so, a jump scare like for what me. he says like he known all along because of the eyes and everything. So how long do you think was he just like standing out there the whole time waiting for them to like break out? 
I think so. <laughs> like, he was just like, he was just waiting for him to start marching up the stairs. Yeah. I'm sort of yeah, thinking like, about as this was like one final test by the core for Marcy. Ah. Uh, okay, actually, yeah, that's not, that's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, just like one final test of intelligence to really prove her as like yeah. a good host. Yeah. But anyway, that's how it's Andrea's not immediately coming down and grabbing them. Yeah. He's just like waiting around like the post, just like waiting, like getting hyped up. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, you can do this. You can do this, Andreas. Shove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he walks out and he's just like Just with Keith with Keith David voicing him, just the way he enunciates. Oh yeah, his entrance. He's like, we have so much to discuss. Like, just like yeah, like so a business David meeting is so great in this. And like, you know, this isn't even like something he's like super invested in. Like, I'm sure he does his best and everything, but this isn't like you know how Brenda Song. This is like her first voice acting role. Um, and uh, Kana is really into Sasha's character arc. Keith David is doing this for a paycheck. Um, and he's still, it's just so great. I do, I do want to, like, one day, like, someone should just ask him about Amphibia, because I know, like, certain roles, like, he does have, like, a few thoughts about, like, I know Princess and the Frog and Goliath, Goliath. like, those are roles that he, like, legitimately... Like, he has, like, a connection to those, like... Yeah, like, he came back as a Goliath and the DuckTales... Is anyone here watching DuckTales? I'm watching DuckTales. I, I, I haven't even gotten to season three yet. <laughs> I've not gotten to okay, season three so, yet. Okay, oh. so... Spoilers. Okay, so I will Wait. not discuss... <laughs> Shit, sorry. Well, no, no, I'm not saying anything else. I know you're fine. Actually, no, Uzbek, you didn't, you didn't spoil anything. It's yeah, I, I didn't really hear anything. I, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, so I guess we... If you've seen DuckTales, you know what I'm talking about, but, you know, he... So, yeah, so I'm interested... Is this, like, does he view Andrius as one of his great roles, or is it, like, Flame King in Adventure Time or whatever? Like, just, like, he gets the upstairs. I would love, yeah. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm interested in how Keith David would view that. <clears throat> Yeah, I would. I would really just imagine him and Haley to do just getting like an, an interview along with Matt. Like, I would love that. Just because, like, yeah, I've always wanted that myself. Just how does Keith David feel about? Because yeah, this isn't his. Yeah, this isn't his first radio. So, like, how, how how does he feel about voicing Andrews? Like, is he is he one of his favorite characters? The voice does he recognize how great of a villain he is? Like, you know, just how how much does he really care about this role? I'd love to find that out too. Yeah, I think him and Haley. How do you say her last name? I think I, I, I just honestly, I've just been guessing. Like hey, Haley to Jew. I think it's yeah, Haley to Jew or something. I'm just like her, I think her and Keith David are the only members of like the they're the only cast members that we haven't really heard from yet about Amphibia. Yeah, we've never they've never been on for an interview of themselves. I, I hope I hope that happens eventually. I think we'll get Haley too at some point. I'm less sure about um, Keith David. Keith David. He's like, he's like, oh, Andrea, it's just another Flame King, right? Like, 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's not, I was joking. Exactly. I was joking. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like, yeah, so we should just tweet him. Like, <laughs> Troy Baker's been in a ton of stuff. Bill Farmer's, well, Bill Farmer's a like main cast, so he has to do this. But like, Troy yeah. Baker's been a lot of stuff, but he's still been like active as. Yeah. I think if someone just tweeted and asked Keith David on Twitter, maybe he might reply because he's done that in the past. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, like I remember, like one time, like someone asked if he sh- if he wanted to be a Transformer character, and then like as a Transformer fan, I just realized, like, oh man, like Keith David has never like I'm surprised he's never like been in wow. that wow, in the franchise criminal. before. That's criminal. It is, but anyway, oh, I'm, I'm getting. See- he feels like he'd be a great fit for Transformers. Wow. I yeah, that's, that's what he hasn't. Wow, that's that's what angered me. <laughs> but wow. that, I, that's just me getting off topic a little bit. But I guess we can talk about the core. So this thing is we we saw this back in the first temple in that last that last post episode scene where it just like. It just shows up for like five seconds, and that we, our speculation uh, ran rampant for. I can't believe it's still the same year. Like, it feels like a year ago, but it's only been like six months since the first sample aired. Or not for six months, but he's like seven. Yeah. Or eight. And, yeah. And eight I months. just, I think about eight. Yeah. Eight. I, I just realized the first one of the first episodes that like really dug into marcy's character like it was very marcy centric it was about her and her flaws was the episode where they first introduced this right with andrus yeah like at marcy at the gates at like the very ending like we hear andrus talking and we thought okay he's just in a dark room talking to himself with a chessboard and then with with the revelation of the crown oh shit being connected right. I thought about that yeah one. Yeah, like it was. That's who he was probably talking to now, and I, I didn't. I didn't point this out. It was a uh, Princess Cthulhu in our, in our chat. Uh, so yeah, that nicely. What we thought was like just a weird thing was actually like relevant. Yeah. But yeah, like we all thought, we all kind of inferred. Okay, maybe this is the night. But no, this is the core apparently, which I guess we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll talk the the stat the status of all these like deities in Amphibia later. But this was this was like the core is manufactured, but has apparently souls, not souls, just like the memories or the minds of a bunch of of Newtopia's greatest minds. And I, I think someone someone on Reddit pointed out uh, how there were eight coffins in the basement. Yeah, but it is, well, it has 12 eyes. Um, and it, he did say Amphibia's Greatest Minds. Okay, and then... Which he, I do feel is significant. I, I, I know <laughs> someone pointed out how like, the, the, the door to the Knight's Lair had like eight... Well, I, I assumed there were eight legs, but like... You could, it could look like eight newts if yeah, you plus, wanted to. Yeah, plus there's a center of the eye, like sort of just giving an idea that they all like script sort of get drawn into the center right there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I guess, yeah, I still like both. I mean, I, I, I feel like there are only being 
eight potentially eight beings inside the core i feel like that's where i don't know i mean it's still a cool idea but i, was, I just really like the idea of what we're talking like maybe like hundreds of people who've lived just shoved into that thing like i i really like that idea too but you know no both are still great just the idea for the core they really threw us for a loop because we always imagine something different for for you know what was in andrew's basement like this is I, I feel like for me, me personally, this is like something much more horrific than I ever could have imagined. Like just, this is like something just like a science fiction horror right here. Like this is just, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Oh, yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, because I think what makes it so interesting is Amphibia has a lot of a lot of like elements that are very like mystical or otherworldly in nature. So having something like having this like horror be like a product of Newtopia's like itself, like Newtopia's tech and their own science, it kind of like grounds the show in a horrific way. Yeah, it's just it's like it's it's not it's not some like cosmic otherworldly being with its own like purpose is like dictated by the universe or something. It's it's none of that. It's just yeah. A bunch of guys in a lab were like, and the royal family were like, hey, let's, if we put all these guys into one, we get a smart thing, <laughs> and we can do more stuff. That's, that's basically it. And, and it's like, disgusting. Like, it's just, like, it, it's a bunch of people refusing to die who, wants, who want to further their ambition up to the present. Like, we're talking probably like a like we're talking probably like what, 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 at least more than a thousand years into the past, right? Because like, yeah. the core, can we assume the core is older than Andreas? Can the we, core we, is we older than Andreas. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely older, older than Andreas. So like, we're talking like, gener- like just generations of Leviathan. Like, I mean, maybe Leviathan. I don't even know. I, I, we just, this is the smartest minds in the video, right? Like, I, it's just insane. <laughs> just the whole idea of it, and that really. It kind of makes you think about the timeline for all this because the core was created after, like, Andrews mentions that once they discovered the fa- studied the shadow fish, they figured out how to create the core. So, like, all this traveling, all this exploring into other worlds, that predates the core, and then by extension, like the the Calamity box. And the gems, like the Calamity box, predates the core, and then the gems themselves predate the box itself. So you have this like this timeline is like super like like how did we get from one to the next? Yeah, yeah. it's just like, crazy though. Like they just like 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 when they felt like they they I don't even know like they. It's just crazy to think about. Like, like they went from conquerors to people searching for a way to live forever. Like, that's just insane. I mean, if you have everything you want, you don't want to lose it. Yeah. And I mean, this is just a great, in terms of the show being about change and moving on and accepting that. Yeah, they have this, like, monstrous form that, like, just... This monstrous that, people yeah. who, like, perverted, not only, like, mutilated their bodies or whatever but like mutilated their minds and like turned themselves into this weird like hive mind thing just so they wouldn't have to die um, and 
probably the intention was that okay, like we're maybe maybe at the time, like the rationale was like, okay, we're gonna go like we're gonna we're gonna die. But like Newtopia still wants our help. And it's like anyways we're not gonna live, so we can just like we can uh, devote ourselves to this glorious purpose. And then like I'm guessing as more mind the question I okay, I'm guessing they added more minds to the to the core over time. Yeah. Instead of just like eight people at once. But I'm guessing maybe like over time like the core probably got more and more like unstable as more people yeah, start like I mean it yeah, is it's... called an it. Like I'm not sure there's any individuality left. Yeah, it's not an individual it, yeah. Although some people would probably well, we'll talk about possible theories later. And then we get to the point where Marcy Mar- so Marcy's the host and we get to see like this show man, like Andrus is like insane, but you see you see those moments where he's definitely not he's not as like you can see like the hesitation and like the regret, but he still does like he still goes forward with all of this. Yes. Yeah, like he's like he, he can admit that he does care for them in a way, but like he, he cannot let that compromise his plans. Like he's been planning this he's been planning and going forward for this for far too long to let any sense of sentimentality just get in the way of all this. So I mean it's just plus you, you could see her. I mean he's probably begging the core for a long time, like not to make him do this, not to make him give up Marcy. Like because, because it, it she was a great candidate, but at the same time, it didn't exactly have to be her. But like core, like at that point, I don't think the core, like the core, just it, it seemed like it was pretty frantic at wanting at wanting to find a host for it to go into. So I think like I don't know, it, it was just, I don't know, it's just bad luck on Marcy's part, just winning that game of Flipboard. Like it's we don't know exactly when it happened, but like that's what doomed her at this point. Yeah, I do think they could have done with a little more explanation because, like, Andrus outwitted her to get the box, which is like real life as opposed to a game. So, like, people did mention that option. maybe, maybe the royal family themselves can't be—they yeah. can't be part of the—they can't be part of the or part of the core. So, um, like, maybe, so maybe, like. They were fine with using Andrus as like the, I guess as like the the final test. Yeah, um, and I, I'm just gonna assume that like the robots aren't smart enough to host it properly. Which it, it does beg the question where like you had the, the the core was able to sustain itself in that body for who knows how long, at least a thousand years. And the giant spider robot. Yeah, so, like, why did it need, like, why does it need a host now, like? But we, we do know it was just in a basement for so long. Maybe, like, hooked up for, like, life support. Yeah, I, plus, I guess they're just really itching, just sort of. Because, I mean, I think maybe they didn't find anyone as, I mean, I think with them, they know Marshy's not, like, the best, or the best they can get, but, like, 
they were really looking for a host at this point, Elvis. Because I mean, everything—that's why. Invasion. Um, I do think it's interesting that when we look at like Andrea stabbing Marcy, like that actually probably delayed the invasion a good while, just because like he had to wait for her to heal enough to become a host. So. So and so Andrews is waiting for Marcy to heal. So okay, we now we know like his plan all along. Yeah, his plan all the plan all along. So probably right after the Wartward game, he's like, okay, like the core was probably thinking, okay, we're going into that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think do you think Andrews tried to like save Marcy? Like by stabbing Marcy was trying to like prevent her from being the host. No, like, like he clearly yells the box. I know, but it's just like imagine he just like stabbed. He's like, oh, I don't now think she... that was conscience. I no, no, look, I, I, I don't... look what you made me do. Oh, so he he did wa- right. He did want Marcy to be the host. Yeah, but, like now look what you made yeah, me do. I'm, That's I'm... not like something you say if you're like trying to mercy kill someone. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying it's sort of like there's like double meaning to that right like obviously like he didn't want to have to harm her but at the same time he's like at the same time it's like oh shit i just harmed the body my host my my master's trying to possess like that there's just two different meanings to that line right there he could have just slapped her aside (laughs) (laughs) he really could have he really could have like he like in this episode he just pushed the (laughs) that is one thing i kind of wish we'd gotten like a scene of yuna and olivia trying to fight or, like, get Marcy out of the chair, and then Andrew just, like, slaps him into a wall. Because I felt like they just sort of stood there. Probably because they were staring in horror, right? I mean, we, we, yeah, they had, like... I, I get that, but it did feel a little, like... Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know, but they, they just... As soon as they saw Andrew, they never, they never fucked right. Like, that, that's when they started, like, standing and... Just standing still, watching all this go down. <sighs> um... Yeah, and it was just it was horrific with like the way, yeah. like of course they can't. Well, I, I'm saying they can't show it being too brutal, but like Marcy's already strapped to a chair, getting like yeah. electrocuted with knowledge. Yeah, knowledge. <laughs> yeah, knowledge. <It's> not... <laughs> they're just zeros and ones, man. They're not. <laughs> it's all in my head. It's all in my head. But yeah, the core and it taking over Marcy. Like, I just thought there was a subreddit post about Marcy getting punished too hard, but this is, like, she's the one who didn't want to change the friend group. She's the one who got who wanted to go to Amphibia for this adventure, and now she's bearing the brunt. Right, but it's like, you don't want, the it problem is you can't, say, you can't say any of the girls deserve oh, no. a punishment, yeah, because, because basically Amphibia is, like, Amphibia, whatever mistake the girls make, Amphibia multiplies it, yeah, by, like, a hundred. Yeah, that's a good thing. It amplifies their mistakes, which is sort of broadly what fiction is. Is, like, especially fantasy or size, taking real-world issues and interpersonal relationships and, like, expanding them massively to make it easier to comprehend and, like, you know, like, how Star Wars takes a father-son relationship and, like, turns it into this intergalactic war. Um, right. 
that's what all fiction does. And so that's what's happening here is we're seeing the, the consequences of being stuck in the past and trying to force your friends to say the same. But the change comes anyway. And in a harmful way because you tried to fight it instead of. Yeah, they usually like learn they messed up like the most horrible ways. <laughs> like Sasha has to fall off a tower, then Marcy has to go for all his true colors. Yeah. Yes. And I found Andrus's wording after the process completed where the, the core was meant to lead them to their destiny. And like I know like he's probably just talking about like conquest and whatnot. But we do like there's still the case that there's still the case back in the first temple, like he they did mention like undoing a prophecy. So in this case now like Was the th- can we can we talk about the prophecy and stuff, or is there anything yeah, else I you guys want? I think we're open season now. For oh, me. I just oh, okay. I, I just I just wanted to quote Princess Katu because I just know how to do this for him. It, it's just like I'm just from this is what this is his words. I'm just gonna do that for him. So I'm gonna quote it here. Just something I want to. It was just something I wanted to bring up that he mentioned like a while ago. So he said the core is a product of generations of societal evil and amphibia. People working tirelessly to create this horrible monstrosity for the good of their country. It is the literal past, the imperialistic legacy of amphibia, twisting the present and burning the nation to cinders so it can, so it can continue to conquer and expand in perpetuity. Not for any Garrity goal, but just expand for expansion's sake in an attempt to recreate some non-existent pre lesbian past. So, I don't know. But before, I feel like before we go into all the prophecy stuff, I feel like I just really wanted to focus on like the thematic weight of the core itself and just how it's influencing the present right now. Yes, it is very much the past influence of the present. Um, I think obviously there's the imperialism stuff that uh, DC explains there very succinctly. Um, I think this sort of desperate dash for immortality, um, this defiance of the natural order. Um, I talked about some in a text chat, so not here, but like that this is somehow worse than if it was like some eldritch being from beyond the night right. corrupting Andreas. No, this is like... This is all them. This is all them. This is like... I get they're not human, but like this is humans are the real... Like, all of this came from like conquering and exploiting other worlds. This is like... All of the societal problems like Polly's joked about it in Spider Sprague. <laughs> condensed into one thing, condensed into this one singular evil, which... Which isn't even singular. ...could run into trouble, because, like, all of society's evils, they're not all concentrated in this messy web. Not just one singular thing, although I think having multiple minds in there could help. Um, yeah, it's this not something Andrews found. Andrews didn't become evil because of some outside force or like some innate evil within him. It was the pressure of his society and his heritage weighing down on him that turned him into this monster. And like this is this is something that Andrews always had to like. This is something Andrews was always exposed to. So like the fact that like some random like teenage girl is like 
actually making him like somewhat conflicted in this quest. Or maybe this isn't the first time he's been conflicted in this quest. Just, just for sure, whatever happened with him and his friends, like th- that could. That's another. I mean, you're talking about imperialism or like desperate efforts to reclaim a past. These sort of reaction. This young man losing his friends and then turning to sort of reactionary uh, ideology, not to get too political. But that's definitely something we've seen both in the history and present of sort of isolation, replacing lost friendships and social relationships and channeling into this sort of evil expansionist ethos. And I also like how it seems like to me, Andrus has been very. Andrus is loyal to the core, but he's always like, we we've seen multiple scenes of him doubting some of like the decisions being made, but it seems that like the core accepts this because it always knows that Andrus is going to like fall in line yeah. at the end of the day. So it yeah, has like no problem with Andrus always expressing doubt over its actions. Yeah, plus, thank God, like, no, plus, you can see Andrus, there's one person that Andrus is terrified of, like, it's the core, right? Like, e- even if Andrus does question, like, their decision-making, like, it, you, you can see, like, you can still sort of hear the fear in his voice, you know, the hesitation to even speak sometimes, like, it's, it's pretty damn interesting, you know, because it, it just sets him apart from, like, the Mad King persona he's been playing since True Colors at this point. And I like that even when he's ordering like the enslavement of the frogs, he's like, makes a joke. Like, that's who he is. He is like a dude who makes bad jokes. And he only stops when it gets really serious. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I love the fact they're still keeping that goofy vibe to him. Because <laughs> I, I, just, I just really like that. You know, like, even so he's... No, no, he's not a twist villain, but you guys know what I mean. Like, even so they... Even so, yeah, there is a, a big shocking reveal to how much of an evil bastard he is. It doesn't really change who he is at the same time. Yes. He's an evil bastard, but he's also like a very goofy one at the same time, so that's really fucking great. And like in the first temple, like we 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 got to see like the way he addressed the core and even the the size of it as well, like how small Andrus was. Like compared to it, and like even in this case, like just that scene of him, like what looks like he's tying to himself, like it makes him feel even more smaller. Yeah, like damn, I, it's just <laughs> like the core just freaks me out. It's it just the more you think yeah. about it, just the whole co- the concept of it is the whole concept is yeah. freaky. The possessing of Marcy is creepy. Just like the whole design of that, he's very cool, but in a dark way. And then, I guess we can talk about, like, the Season 3 trailer, like, we got that line of, like, oh, don't you think it's time to say goodbye to those childhood friends of yours? And we, like, assumed it was from the core, but, like, it we might never still got... Be, it might be, like, inside Marcy's head we get that. Yeah, someone's talking to Marcy or something. So, yeah, which I think, it'll be a good, it'll be a good way to still keep Marcy active in this series. And I obviously, like, she's going to have some kind of communication. I appreciate that they're keeping the same voice actress Haley too. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's good. I I'm not actually sure. Feels like it would be even creepier if it didn't have like the echoey quality to it. 
Like if it was just her voice in a different tone than Marcy. Ooh, yeah, that yeah, that, yeah, that would have. As opposed wow. to this sort of, I felt it was a little over the top when it's like got this gravelly, rumbling voice with her. The the echo, like the echoing, like yeah. Which I get, it's like multiple minds speaking from my mouth, but I, I just. <laughs> I'm just like glad it has they... sustained dialogue in that voice. It'll start to get a little <laughs> annoying. Honestly, I'm just glad they didn't do the thing where, like, you know, they switch the voices. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, like, I hate possession. Yeah, I really hate that when they do. You know, they they, they, they switch. It, it doesn't make any sense when they do it anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like when when characters swap bodies, the lar- the the Larax changes with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's always that's always that's always been my pet peeve of that kind of stuff. But yes. I'm glad I'm glad I'm really glad like, they're, they're keeping it. Yeah. That is the coward's way out of doing a body swap. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really glad we're still getting Haley here. You know, she's not. Yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just the implications. It's gonna try and conquer Earth, I, and I do think I expect one more twist about what their plan is. Because, like, at the end of this, like, yeah, everyone because... in that room already knows he's planning on conquering Earth. Or whatever. Yeah, then he's talking, yeah, great destiny. revealing about his destiny, and he wants him to speak for itself. Like, the, it's this sort of... If it wasn't so damn creepy, I might say it's a little over-melodramatic and, like, a contrived cliffhanger. But, like, it's so good, and, like, what's their destiny? What's the big plan here? It feels like it feels like there's this one more piece beyond just conquering stuff. The night. Yeah, yeah plus I mean oh yeah, the night. No, plus you know Andrews loves you know Andrews loves putting on a big show, you know. Just, oh yeah, he has a yeah, show. Spe- like, especially when he knows he won, that's when he really starts that's when he really likes to rub it all in, in their faces. <laughs> Even so he didn't have to do any of that, he still did it anyway. Yeah. I just because for for a long time we all kind of assumed the knight and the core were the same entity, and looking back at all, like we've seen that like bucket where it's some kind of ominous figure chasing after the gems. We see in the mural that there's this frog thing with fire with the girls in the background, like. Do you guys think there's another like entity out there that? Because um, yeah. to me, it feels like I could see it. I could see it. Yeah, I, to, okay. Because it, it it just feels like it feels like the, the core itself is like it's a bunch. Even so, yeah, they're not humans, but it does feel like human beings trying to play God, right? Getting in the way of the natural order of things. So it, it feels like the core sort of invasive. To whatever mystical stuff Amphibia still has hidden there, like the knight or the yeah. mother of homes, like it, it, it still feels. It feels like the core is not a part of that for me. At it's least. very notable that like the gems are the thing that's powering this castle, but it has the gems have nothing to do with the core, right? Yeah, absolutely nothing. The color scheme is different. It's clearly, I mean, it's ran without the gems for millennia, so like it, it's clearly separate and like an attempt, maybe even an attempt to rival or create your own gems to prove how great your civilization is. 
Um, I, yeah, I always like the. I, oh, go ahead, Uzik. Sorry. As far as well, actually, finish the thought. I've got a completely different thought. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I always got the idea that maybe, the, the, like, Newtopia or Amphibia itself was like heavily reliant on the gems, and then eventually decided it didn't need it, or maybe it was rejected. Like, because we we know like the gems have this like very spiritual process to obtaining their power. And maybe Newtopia, in its conquest or whatever, got to a point where it couldn't recharge the gems anymore. I, I'm not thinking that because the box got stolen, not like drained. Right, but then eventually but the box ran out of power. Certainly, and if we're talking about environmental uh, commentary, over-reliance on one form of power leading to disaster when it runs out. Not that hard to see that parallel developing. Right. Um, as far as we were talking about various entities, um, sort of going down the list, we've got the core. Um, honestly, I think the knight just might be metaphor. from Because like, the source of the knight is one line in the prophecy. Yeah. But that prophecy is also says three stars. And, like, no one thinks the girls are literally stars or, like, called the stars. So I'm thinking the night might just be a metaphor for, like, evil or the core's dark plans. But, like, uh, what, what confuses so me is it that... it might be the night, but that's not actually something it gets called. Um, it just... Because apparently, apparently the only, like, I'm guessing Andrew's ancestors had this book. Yeah, and then someone, someone wrote yeah, this just... up, like thinking, okay, probably it was some mystical vision or whatever that saw all this happening. It's just that the, the the details we've seen, where like you have that like you have that demonized figure, it doesn't resemble it doesn't resemble an ohm, and it doesn't it's resemble the core. Is probably the biggest. Um, contender for sort of good deity. Yeah, plus, I, I just found it a little weird because, like, that book was, you know, we're talking about the book in the Day of the Aquarium, right? It, it's just, I feel like, but, and the Leviathans were in possession of that book, right? Like, it just feels, would they really pose themselves as sort of an evil threat? Like, if, if, if they're looking at history from their perspective, like, would they really look at the core and call that thing evil? I mean, it seems like they're pretty proud of it themselves, so I think, like... Yes, but I think they're also smart enough to look at the prophecy and see that the knight is referring to the core. Uh, okay, then, yeah, that's definitely... It's just like, why would they, like, why would they write themselves... Like, why would they, why would they write that for themselves, knowing that they created their own... Well, like they created their own threat, the prophecy, but they want to record it if it, if they hear about it. Right. Okay. Between the outside, the details of the it's, it's kind of weird though because I mean they only it only had like a detail about one temple, so like I mean it had a detail about one temple. It had like the several. I mean, it had the three weapons on it. it had like that one artifact on it. We didn't really get any information. And else. I mean, it also like Marcy knew it well. Actually, no, she didn't. Um. But, like, yeah, <laughs> and I think it's worth noting the carving predates the core, so probably not 
the perspective of the Newtopians. Oh, okay. So by from like whatever predates them. Yes. Um, people have discussed in the past how it looks how like you could view it as the girls fighting, but it could also be like something offering the girls power. Which, if it is like the deity behind the gems. Okay, so like, yeah, so maybe maybe the knight and that deity and the figure aren't the same. They aren't. I I think that I think the core is the knight at this stage. Uh, okay. I mean, there, there's also. I mean, okay, this is something I just kind of just popped in my head, but like, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I, I do, I'm just trying to. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Okay, so I do think whether or not. The, the the frog in the mural is the knight or not like okay it, maybe it's not the knight but I do think there is another yes. deity like out there since you... like amphibia loves working in like pair like in groups yes. of three threes threes might be an option um the uh the mother of olds that got brought up in a uh, temple frogs that Which, the name drop was very recently that if like Let's say this is what happened. Like, Pink found out about the core and was like, no, that's bad, I'll steal the box. But the key presumably wrote about the mother of Olms to lead someone to their destiny. So if we view the prophecy as, like, being about opposing the knight, the mother of Olms may be sort of the big good thing, or good, I say in square, scare quotes, at least the opposition to whatever the prophecy is referring to as night, which might not be its literal name. Right. Cause I like my prediction was that maybe each of these, like these like larger than life or deities, or whatever figures are going to parallel each of the girls in some way. So like, the yes, core is like the, the the core is a clear parallel to wit. to wit. Like what what it, what is wit without humility? It's or it's the core. Wit in general, it's a symbol of intelligence. Um, the frog thing certainly looks strong. Um, although mother of Ohm's mother has an implication of like caring and heart. So, right, and since we there is a third. And since we haven't seen or heard a lot about the Mother of Ohms outside of like imagery, like I'm under the assumption that this thing is very detached from yes the events that are going on in Amphibia, yeah. and then that could play into like Anne's like Anne's character arc about like responsibility, right? And like maybe each of these deities lacks something that the girls need to gain, but then the question is that like. Is there, we don't even know if there's going to be like, and like what whatever. role does Valerina and her order play in this? Like, do they know? What do they know about the prophecy? And like the temple people who created it, like the old imagery in the temple, like they call that out, um, right? So they they foresaw something happening. And if they're working for a deity who doesn't have that, that strikes me as a little odd. Which I think they do, which is what would lead to either the Mother of Olms or maybe like another frog deity that we see in the. Because yeah. that's the thing, like, we got introduced to the core, 
and the mother of Olms, yet that one frog thing has been in the background for every title card, for every episode, and yeah. we still don't know what that is. And yeah, that, that, that's, what, that's what makes me... Yeah, that's what makes me believe that it is like something like a tangible, actual, like yes. character that we're going to get see later on. That's that's what that's like my main like anchor. Yes. I think we may see some design issues just because it was created very early on in the process, so we may see a little different design. But like, it's literally opposed to like physical representations of the girls, as opposed to like metaphorical a heart or a brain or whatever. Right. So yeah, that'll just that'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds, especially when when do you guys think Marcy is not Marcy, Darcy, whatever the core core Marcy? <laughs> we we still have like Froggy Little Christmas where Andrews mentions like there's like deadly surprise. Is that? I think there's a chance, the possibility of that of Darcy showing up. I think. I, I think, I think we might the get question is uh, if Darcy will show up. Yeah, it's more like uh, will he be like the main threat or something? At this point, to have like an Andrew scene without his like master, who's now like there to supervise. Yeah. I think the question was: Does Anne or Sasha see it? See Marcy? Is the big question. Like, is this like, oh, we see a scene where, like, Andreas is preparing to surprise with Darcy, and then it attacks, and that's the episode. Or does Anne actually see ha- have to see what happened to Marcy? I mean, that's a, that's quite a interesting thing to do in a Christmas episode, which, I mean, there's no doubt that this is this is going to be a plot episode, I think. Yes. Especially with the inclusion of, like, Andreas in that synopsis. Yes. I mean, maybe it's just a new robot that they have to fight. I mean, I think, I think like, what we can at least expect are like Andreas and. Um, it's clearly can I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say Darcy can I'm, I'm going to have to get used to it, but like, we can at least expect Andreas and Darcy cameos. Like, they they yeah. may or may not be the main threat of the episode, but we can still expect them to have presence in that in episode. So, yeah. Like, I hope it's not a new robot model because, like, we kind of had this whole thing with the uh, cloakbot. Yes. And oh yeah. If if they were just going like to introduce a new or something, you know, something lighthearted for the holidays. I know that's that's what's throwing that's what's throwing me off. If this wasn't a Christmas like episode, I would think okay, it's like it's Darcy in the mid season finale, but like I have no idea what. Like this, like I'm as this, like being cynical. Like I'm thinking, okay, Disney wants us to be like. Maybe like Andrus just like sends one or two like new interesting robot models, and then but, like a Santa Claus robot, he turns evil for some reason. Like that's the question. Or a bunch of like, or a bunch of like one, <laughs> one robot with really long arms decides to like puppet a Santa. Yeah, and the fact that there's also the episode description discusses like Anne getting into parade hijinks for her mom, and the planters enacting to the holiday. Suggests that even if we do get plot, it's not going to be like true colors or first temple, where it's like everything on that. I mean, the problem is, this is also the mid season finale. Like, we, we can still expect something, you know. Yeah, and well, I think after next week, we'll get a better idea. Yeah. Like, we'll see if, if Give a Frog a Cookie has like 
big mid-season finale energy, we could be all right. It's probably just going to be some episodic fun for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we may be in for something. And I think Froggy Little Christmas, not Froggy Little Christmas, uh, if you give a frog a cookie, does bring up like, oh, there's like a lead to get back home. Yes, there's a lead. I think, though, that'll more likely tie into the government agent's plot than Andrus. Yeah, that's still in the background somewhere. I mean, I just... I think that's probably where we get that, like, blue beam to the energy beam to the sky scene. Um, and the blue-haired scientist. Right. Yeah, I think they confirmed that she's being voiced by... Yeah, oh, actually, these confirmed the character name, but not the the character model. But yeah, we can infer that. Yeah. Uh, still, I'm just, oh, okay, go ahead, Nick. I don't know. I'm just thinking they're still going to try and go out of a bang here with the mission of the finale. I mean, we're in the final season, so I can expect them really just giving us a cliffhanger ending to the first... Oh, we're talking about episode 9, right? Like, that's... Yeah, we're yeah. Nine episodes. yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, like... It's a third. It's a third and final season. Um, this is the mid-season finale. It's. It's. I feel like it's going to be a tradition to really just go out with a bang and really set up what the rest of the season is going to look like. So, especially when we know that like a good chunk of Earth is going to take place in Earth, and I feel like we're we've really made our way through that at this point. So I'm thinking like this is really where they want to start letting us open up back into Amphibia, especially with like the possessed Martian reveal here, right? Like the idea that there's this destiny that they want to fulfill, the idea that they're super, that they're very, very close to getting ready to invade Earth. I mean, I mean, I, I'm still on the fence whether or not even Possessed Marcy will be like, you know, will be like the main conflict of the, of the episode. Like, I think they'll be in it, but like, I mean, we saw the trailer, right? We still have the idea that like, Marcy's going to be talking to them. So I mean, there, there's still that to look forward to, but like, as far as I think, I still we're just gonna we're just gonna have to wait and see. I still I still believe that this is gonna be a big episode. There's gonna be a ton of plot involved, so I mean everyone's gonna be happy about that. But I don't know. I, I have high hopes for this episode. Oh, we didn't we didn't talk about the credits for this episode. Oh yeah, the credits. <laughs> just black screen did not yellow text or orange text. Yeah, that was that was black. like Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get that. Yeah, never season three outro. Which I, I just, yeah, I just remember all the jokes about how like, oh, <laughs> yeah, how 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 we get the usual season three outro played for that episode. But, ugh. I mean, I'm assuming you guys have seen all the videos of people speeding up the outro, right? And ha- and, they, and and then it sounds like people screaming or something like that. That's what it sounds. I like. I yeah. tried that myself. I think it was just someone trolling us. Oh, someone trolling. Yeah, because I tried. I took the source file. Like I tried taking the credits and speeding them up. Moaning noises, but not like actual. It's not like recognizably Marcy's. Yeah, it's it sounds like wind, to be honest. But oh, really? Oh, I had no clue. Damn, (laughs) I guess I fell for that. I mean, either way, I'm still pretty, pretty, still pretty creepy. I'm I'm just glad we didn't. I'm just glad we, we we didn't fall for that. Well. I'm just glad, like, our worries didn't... Well, no, I don't think any of us were worrying. I mean, we saw Faith in the show. Like, I, I, remember, I do remember, like, a lot of people worrying that, like, they'd actually play the super happy outro for an episode like that. I'm glad I didn't end up doing that. Yeah, that, that would have felt out of place. <laughs> yeah, it really would have. 
and I'm just looking like we covered Marcy getting you know yeah <laughs> uh, yeah the voice uh Have we talked about theories about, like, if there's anyone in particular in the core that we might want to talk about? I know that's been brought up as a possible theory, although that might be a little specific. I, I don't think... I, I know the, the theories that maybe Beryl could be inside yes. the core, yeah. but I feel like the core seems very... Like, everything inside the core seems very... Uh, on the same page, with the exception of Marcy, which even then is yes. being taken yeah, over. And then he also got contacts from, like, Beryl's Warhammer, that, like, Beryl did die. Yes. Like, defending the village. And with, yes. So, like, yeah. I don't think, so I, I don't think Beryl is inside. Sure by that either. Yeah, um, I don't. But... Yeah, I hope we get Beryl to some extent. Like, I don't, it's yeah, not going to be I, with the core, but I, I did like to. I, I like the idea that Beryl is like yeah. the smart one, and I yeah, do just, like maybe maybe uh, he was considered awesome. a candidate for the core, and then like he probably just like. Hell, that could be what set off, um, the split with Andreas and his friends. You know, like. Hey, Barrel, want to be uploaded to this giant computer? Barrel's like, no. <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just because, um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some kind of incident that really broke up this group because, I mean, yes. there's no, I mean, there's no way it's the fact that Andrews is a conference. I mean, they all knew that themselves. Like, <laughs> like they knew what they were signing up for. So, it can't be that. So, I'm just thinking that there's, there definitely was maybe a, wait, maybe it was learning about the destiny. Like, like, because they're, because I mean, I feel like yeah, I feel like the destiny is separate from the revenge that we're talking about in the first temple. Like there, there's a greater idea that that that, that goes beyond just conquering Earth and to settle all the worlds, create new worlds. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. true. Actually, yeah. okay, that's definitely there too. But uh, it'd just be funny if like Andrews, Barrel, and the Pink Frog are like friends for years, and then like. Andrews like has their like full trust, and then finally introduces Barrel to Barrel and Pink to like the core, and then like everything falls apart. And just like ah, oh, like well, how did it how did it come to this? Like I just wanted to put him inside the hive mind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. what, what else did they do? I'm just looking forward to it. Like season three has been great so far, and like this episode really elevated my opinion of it. Well, it's not just living in It's not just living in Like Spider Spring too. Like I'm just very pleased with the season's direction. I guess is there anything else we wanna we wanna talk about before we wrap up? Like I think I already got my my. Mother of Ulm, core night frog, frog deity theory out there. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm not. A I just. Yeah, I just. I, mean, I just love the idea that like maybe like the frog deity's like flaw is that like it's lazy and sleeping somewhere like yeah. near Frog Valley, and then like 
eventually like a castle beam just like tries to fire at Warwood and just wakes up this like Thulu monster. Hope... <laughs> I'm a little torn. Like I want Marcy out so she can like reunite with Sasha and Anne, and like we can explore that dynamic. But I also don't want this to be like so short it feels cheap. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Like it. So it's... I'm hoping we get some like hallucination, joint vision trip, something yeah. that like allows Marcy to interact, communicate, and, like, grow yeah. as a character. Yeah, I think and, like, she works. We can work towards like forgiving her from their perspective without like completely dropping this possession subplot. Yeah, I mean, it's... the only yeah, way I could I see that happening is that if. If Marcy or Sasha were still connected to the gems somehow, maybe the gems had their own connection and the girls could connect that way. But unfortunately, like, we know Sasha and Marcy are completely drained. Hmm. Still can't believe they... I, I, I'm still taking that on the fact they don't have their powers anymore. <laughs> that still bums me out, just thinking about it. <laughs> the fact that I won't be able to see them go Super Saiyan for a while, at least. But yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I think... I think with the way the core is set up, I think Marcy will be conscious and we will sort of deal with her trauma after true colors in our own way. I mean, I, I, I wonder... I mean, we still don't fully know how, like, I guess, like, the... I don't know, like, like the, the inside mechanisms of the, of the core works. I keep tripping up and I, I, I keep almost calling... I keep almost calling, like, the core of the night. Like, I'm, I'm still getting used to that switch, but yeah. Yeah, that's gonna take some time to adjust. Yeah, Darcy too. Like, I'm, I'm gonna have to get used to calling, going from possessed Marcy to Darcy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, is it just like a? Are they just shortening it from Dark Marcy to Darcy? <laughs> like, is that the idea of this? Pride and prejudice. Oh, what I was with think... that? What was with that Matt tweet about from Pride and Prejudice? Like. The character, the guy's name, the male lead, like the main romantic interest for the protagonist, is Mister Darcy. No, oh. do do, do you think Matt anything... tweeted from Pride and Prejudice? That's what I'm saying. I mean, do you think Matt 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 meant anything like deeper than that, or is he just like, oh, they share the same name? I honestly don't know. Um, Pride and Prejudice is a romance novel. I mean, oh. it has deeper themes. Jane Austen is one of the great writers of the English language. I haven't personally read her, though. Um, but it's... I mean, Darcy Dundago's character growth goes from an asshole to a nice man or something. Like, I don't think it's super deep. Um, any more so than that, making an anime joke would represent something. Alright, yeah, I see. Oh, 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 here's a summary from uh, Wikipedia. Someone posted... Yeah, the, the, last, the last sentence matters. <laughs> yes, the repercussions of hasty judgments and comes to appreciate the difference between superficial goodness and actual goodness. So yeah, that, that's Marcy's character arc. Uh, uh, classic uh, Regency-era literature. Yeah, I guess it actually does fit. Wow, I didn't even notice that entry right there. Well, actually, yeah, it does really, it does really fit her, doesn't it? 
Yes, and I do I do think that ultimately, like, this isn't permanent. She'll get separated. Like, I don't think she's part of the core now. Like, the core is in her, but she's not in the core, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, right. I don't, yeah, I don't, I think she's just the body. She's not the, she's not, yeah, of course, she's, she's, she's not, like, gone. <laughs> yeah, she's not gone. She's, I mean, she's somewhere, right? Like, I, I don't know. She's, I mean, Hmm. But oh yeah, um, did we mention this? Did we mention this? I, I think there's something interesting that Andrew said towards the beginning of the episode. He said like the device to transfer the core into a body wasn't tested yet, so it seems like Marcy's like their very first host. Like there's never been any other one. Like did we did we go over that? That's what confused me because apparently this device is the first thing. Like it's the it's like the first of its kind, but then. Andrews has mentioned in the past that it's been looking for a host, a new host. Or do you say a new host or just a host? A new, I think maybe just a host. Um, hmm. And when he says new host, he may be referring to the giant computer spider thing. Oh yeah, there's also that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Oh, so maybe in the past it's always transferred to like a new like robotic form to like. Yeah. Accommodate or the like new. That's the only host that's ever had, and it wants something new. Oh, so maybe like the core got bigger every time, but then like eventually it's like that's why it's so big. It's just all these minds take up so much space. But then maybe, maybe having like, an actual living subject would make it like condensed because we know we know like the brain is like has like a lot of like whatever we do know about the brain, it ha- can store a lot more information than. Than like a hard drive, so maybe that's where the experimentation comes from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, I, I guess. I mean, I guess what we can at least say is Marcy's the first organic host of the core. Pretty horrific, like yes. And, and the fact they didn't even test in the past, right? Like this, like no, I'm not. I'm not going to put that dark guy out there, but just, just imagine that it went wrong, guys. I mean, that does leave, like, of course, since it's untested, then there's going to be, like, a loophole that maybe, like, yeah. that Marcy could exploit and get out. Marcy, yeah. Oh, that's true. But yeah, yeah, like, that, that, like Marcy escapes at some point, and then, like, Andreas is, like, the endgame host or something. Mm-hmm. Or it gets a giant robot body or something as, like, the final boss. Yeah, because yeah, because if Marcy does escape, I'm not sure who else I could like. He's not. Yeah, I'm not sure who else I could like. Hit. I mean, yeah, besides Andrews, of course. Yeah, I'm not sure who else I could like look around and say, "Okay, this would be fitting from the replacement." But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I do buy your theory. I do buy your theory. Hmm. Okay, I think I think we can wrap up. Yeah. How? Oh God, we've been at this for a while. Yeah, it's been it's not that. I think Anne's Terminator was longer, but I, oh, I guess. Wasn't, yeah, I wasn't. So it I guess wasn't? final thoughts for. I think Uzbek's final thoughts for both these episodes. Two very solid episodes. One of the best, like comedy, action comedy parody episodes the show has done. Um, really solid. Some nice character bits and parallels and Spider Spring. Very good episode. And then, like I said, Olivia Nguyen is one of the top tier episodes. 
in not just season three, but the whole show. Just great pacing, great character moments, some really great animation and music. We didn't even talk about Marcy's theme at the beginning with this just like gentle, epic, swelling theme. And then when she gets out, it's like a little janky banjo. And I'm sure just the music was great. The animation was great. Some real classic shadow work there. Like just one of the best episodes all around with some truly dark moments and some truly great paths that they can follow wherever it winds up leaving. All right, thank you, Uzbix. Uh, Nick, final thoughts? Um, just like Uzbix said, like two fantastic Infinity episodes right here, which just which really does just make me happy with season three in its direction right now, and it really does tell me that the crew knows absolutely what they're doing with the story as far as we're going here. Um, I don't even know how to put on my feelings here. Like I'm just very pleased with these two episodes. Like I, I went from being amazed by Spired, by Spider Sprig to being <laughs> by having the fear of God put into me by Olivia Union. So just two great episodes back to back. So just I don't know, just hats off to them for this. All right, thank you, Nick. And yeah, like overall, like my thoughts on these segments, they weren't uh they weren't Totally similar to one another. I think that was for the best. I think whatever, like whatever segment they put before Una and Olivia, would have gotten overshadowed by like the events of the end of Una and Olivia. So like I'm happy that we got a segment that was like super fun and just like had like the crew just go all out and just go all out with the premise of Sprig being a superhero and. Yeah, like you and Olivia, just it was it was very rewarding to see like a lot of past elements get like addressed and then get an actual answer for some of these elements that we've been speculating about for months, and it kind of led to this like yeah to this very like dark revelation about what like what the core is and. We don't even know what it wants yet, like fully, but we know that it's all connected somehow, and we're just gonna have to wait to find out how. So, yeah, that that pretty much concludes this week's recording. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, episode eight, which is, uh, let me pull up the episode names. It's Hollywood Hop Pop, and uh, if you give a frog, if you give frog cookie, okay. So it's called Hollywood Hop Pop, okay. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to a Hop Pop centric episode and a little bit of plot. But with that, I think we can end for tonight. Thanks, guys, for coming on, and say goodbye. See you guys. Yeah. Bye.